Ann and I have been um, working with and in Christ Satisfies Ministries for coming up on 11 years in October. And it's uh, it's interesting because the message hasn't changed. It's the gospel. It's the gospel from the beginning of it. When I first got jumped out on the streets two weeks before we started, and it's been the gospel all the way through it. It's been the gospel last night in the prostitution outreach. It's all about the gospel. And, and, and the format of how that gets to people is different. Sometimes it's through the prostitution care packages. Sometimes it's homeless care kits. Sometimes it's boxes of love. Sometimes it's backpacks for the, for the children going back to school. Easter bags, by God's grace, they're all different uh, ways to get the gospel to them. But it's always the same message, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. From beginning to end, it's been the gospel. And so today I want to show you that that is uh, the scriptural power of salvation from beginning to end, the gospel. Let us pray. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. God, thank You that Your gospel is the container of Your saving and sanctifying power. Lord, we want to know You. We want to be affected. We want to be changed from glory to glory by Your Gospel. So help us now understand that more. Help us not be slow of heart. Lord, help us, Lord, get it from cover to cover in the Scriptures, even in a greater glimpse now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to key in on Luke 24, 25-27. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Luke 24, or you probably already are, 25-27. And this is the narrative that was just read by Brother Lee. Thank you, Brother. And it was very clear. The story is uh, was also shared with the children. And just a reminder of the text. Jesus said, How foolish you are, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? Then beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. Now, I I want to encourage you how important this is from a New Testament perspective. That we understand Christ from the Old Testament also. Jesus is telling us here that it is really important that we understand. And if we don't, He gives us a a rebuke. 
We don't need to keep repeating the rebuke. It's, it's clear. It's interesting because uh, to the Pharisees in John 5:39 and 40, who weren't believers, right? This is his rebuke to believers. But to the Pharisees who predominantly weren't believers, Jesus said, "You diligently study the Scriptures." Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. He says, these are the Scriptures that testify about me. But you refuse to come to me to have life. They missed the Christ in all of the Old Testament. And they formulated the laws into their own uh, worship system where they could obey them in some degree and fulfilled their own works righteousness. And God says it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable for them. It's unacceptable for us. Because only Christ could fulfill the whole law perfectly. Only Christ could pay the price for our sins completely. Only Christ could conquer death by His own power. Only Christ has been exalted and coronated as the Savior of the world. So only faith in Christ from beginning to end in the Scriptures is going to save. Praise the Lord, we know that. But you say, well, wait a minute, Jimbo. What might that have looked like when Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, when He explained to them everything that was said concerning Himself. Well, as you can imagine, we don't have time, right? We have uh, uh, 30 minutes. We don't have time to go through all of the Old Testament and see the promises and direct statements and references to Christ, especially all the types and analogies and providential pictures. But, and I'll give a big but, but we do have time to get a glimpse of it. And I want to, by God's grace, go back, and we're going to do a little little history study, and it'll take a little jet tour through the Old Testament, and it'll take some work on your parts of thinking. So put on your thinking caps, saints, and a little work in flipping pages. This handout was given, is supposed to be given to everybody. If anybody doesn't have a handout because you're going to need it, uh, would you raise your hand and the ushers will make sure you get one? Do you need one, Miss Leslie? Okay, back there. Okay, we need two, three. Bring four, brother, just in case. Thank you, brother. Because you're not going to be able to turn to all these verses, and that's okay. Uh, I, I, by God's grace, I will quote them. And then right after I quote the Old Testament verse of the promises or statements of the Messiah, I'm going to quote a New Testament fulfillment or revelation of how that was fulfilled. So the Old Testament prophecies and promises are on the left of the page, and the New Testament fulfillments are on the right. First, we're going to start with Genesis 3.15. Now, I'm going to set up a narrative for this one, the, the context for this one, but all the others we're, we're just going to share. It's going to be a bit of a jet tour, so try to follow me. 
We remember that God created all things in six literal 24-hour days. We remember that God gave Adam, the head of mankind, the representative, kingship over the world. He said, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over all the earth, over all living creatures that move on the ground in Genesis 1, 26-28. And we remember that God gave him not just the command to rule, implying in righteousness, but you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Thank you, Adasta. That's her amen. And it's in the Hebrew, it's emphatic. Dying, you will die. And remind me, saints, did Adam eat? Yes, he ate. He sinned against God committed cosmic treason, brought all mankind into bondage under God's wrath. God doesn't play. So Adam forfeited his kingdom the moment he sinned, and God allowed Satan to step into that kingship of this world, as we know from the rest of Scripture. He calls him the God of this age, the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. All fallen mankind in Adam are born spiritual children of the devil. That's why they need to be born again. So right when Adam ate, he and all mankind under him came into bondage under God's wrath, Satan's dominion, and by the way, prosecuting attorney status. Slavery to this world system, which Satan works through. Spiritual death. Physical death and eternal damnation. But, Genesis 3.15, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God made a promise. And it's fascinating because Adam and the woman didn't show any signs of repentance or personal uh, admission and confession at all. But God, being the God of grace and mercy, promised redemption. He said to Satan, who thought he ruined everything, in Genesis 3.15, please look there, I will put enmity, make enemies, Satan, between you and the woman. I'm going to save the woman. And between your offspring and hers, I'm going to give her a godly offspring. He, one of those godly offspring, will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. God... Tell Satan, who thought he ruined everything, that he's going to save the woman. He's going to produce godly offspring through her, even a Savior someday, who would crush Satan's head, one of her seeds, the seed of the woman. Now that's a veiled promise to the virgin birth. Not a seed of the man, a seed of the woman, which is never proclaimed in the Scripture, except here and the virgin birth. And God said, I'm going to save the woman. We see, we're reminded from last message I preached here, that Adam believed the promise, and he renamed his wife in Genesis 3.20, Eve, quality life giver. She's going to be in the believing line, the quality of life. And I would just remind you who has quality of life, the unbelieving spiritually dead or the spiritually living. It's a no-brainer. Adam recognized that she was the object of God's promise, the producer of the godly line, even the Messiah someday. 
the mother long distance of the Messiah someday, who would crush Satan's head. And he renamed his wife Eve, quality life giver. Of course, God brought shed blood for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He instituted the sacrificial system at this point. We know that. Abel brought fat portions, firstborn of his flock. Noah brought clean animals, altar, burnt offering, shed blood. Abraham shed blood. This was the beginning, guys, of the gospel promise. It says in Hebrews 11.4, By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by faith, he was accepted. He trusted the promised Messiah. It says in Hebrews 11.6 that Enoch walked with God that he was no more because God took him away. walked with him by faith. Noah, 11.7 in Hebrews, by faith, in holy fear, he built the ark. Abraham, by faith, in the gospel promise from beginning to end. Now, Genesis 3.15, the first gospel promise. The next clear gospel promise is going to be to Abraham. But before we do that, I want to remind you of the New Testament fulfillments or some parallel verses of Genesis 3.15. First John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's how important Satan is as the executioner of God's wrath. He means evil. He's going to bring everyone to hell with him that he can. And he's going to be the prosecuting attorney to insist that those who don't have atonement go with him. And God, the righteous judge, will honor that. In spite of Satan's malice and wicked intentions. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Hebrews 2.14 Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power over death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 1 John 5.18 says, now we are sons of God. And the one who was born of God, the incarnate one, keeps us safe. And the evil one cannot harm us. Satan has nothing on us who are believers. Believers have their sins atoned for. Have the righteousness of Christ covering them like a white robe. Satan stands before the throne accusing the brethren day and night. And we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. He paid for all of our sins. Now, I want to go forward in the Gospels, excuse me, in the Old Testament. It's not just Genesis 3.15. Let's see the Gospel promise to Abraham. I want you to turn there. Genesis 12.3. God says to Abram, later Abraham, 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples of the earth, not just the Jews, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And you say, well, how is that the gospel? Well, remember, the seed of the woman was coming to crush Satan's head. And now, according to this promise and the New Testament uh, parallel text and assurance for us is Galatians 3.8. And let me just quote it for you. You have it written down so you can check it later. The Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. Paul calls that the good news of the gospel. The same gospel that the seed of the woman would come and crush Satan's head. But now it's clear that the seed of the woman is coming through Abraham. And then in Genesis, the next Old Testament text you have, number 3, 2218, God flat out says that through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed. Through your seed, Abraham. Not just through you, but through your seed. It's going to be a promised Messiah coming through your seed. And it's interesting. He doesn't just mean through his children when he says that seed. He actually, according to Galatians 3.16, says that that seed was Christ Himself in the future. So that seed of the woman who would crush Satan's head in the beginning is now promised to come through Abraham and through his seed, who would be the seed of seeds in the future, who would crush Satan's head, who would satisfy God's offended justice that would rescue us from slavery to this world system and bring us into being led by the Word of God instead of this world, who would awaken us from spiritual death, who would save us from fear of physical death and rescue us from eternal damnation. Abraham, that seed is coming through you. Then we go forward because Abraham's promised son was Isaac. Good. Isaac is told in Genesis 26.4 that through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed. That same promise. That Messiah, that Savior, that seed of the woman is coming through Abraham and he's coming through Isaac. And then Jacob, 28.14, he's given the same promise. Through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed. Now, saints, this is the only hope for salvation. This is the only hope for salvation for these people at the time. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the Word of Christ, of Messiah. So we just might sort of touch on these and not think it's a big deal. But this is huge! This is eternal life for these people. This is their joy in this life also. Then we go forward, and Jacob had how many sons? Twelve sons. So now you say, well, who's the son? Which, 
Which son is going to be the promised line, the messianic line, going down to Messiah? Well, in Genesis 49.10, Jacob prophesies. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Jacob was told that that, excuse me, Judah was told that that promised Messiah is coming through him. And of course, dear saints, as we go forward, we see in Revelation 5, 5, the New Testament fulfillment that uh, John, by the Holy Spirit, says, Do not weep. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root and offspring of David, has come. Back to the Old Testament. As we go forward in history, we've, we've seen Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... Now his son Judah, the promised Messiah, is coming through. We see Joseph, and then we see Moses. And we say, well, was Moses given the promise of the Messiah coming through him? Well, not only was he given the promise, but he was given a manifold picture and types through the tabernacle and through the worship, and amazing pictures and types. But... Specifically, I think of the Passover. In Exodus 12:13, God says this. This is powerful. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. Wow! When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. And then, of course, John the Baptist, the next day, John saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Moses was given glorious pictures and types and even, even uh, revelations of the Messiah. In Numbers, uh, it's interesting... God uses a false prophet, Balaam, just like he used Caiaphas to prophesy the Christ and him not even knowing what he was talking about. He used a false prophet. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will rise out of Jacob. A scepter will come for Israel. And he talks about him crushing his enemies and bringing peace to Israel. And of course, in Revelation uh, 19, we see how Jesus is going to come back and is going to judge His enemies and ours. That's a trembling thought. It's called the wrath of the Lamb, even. Trembling thought. Then in Deuteronomy, as we go forward in history, uh, this is just powerful here because in Deuteronomy 18, 17-19, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he says. Anyone who does not listen to him will be cut off from his people. That's another way of saying, 
But Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. It's one God and there's one Savior. And He's going to be a prophet of prophets. And we see in Hebrews 1 that Jesus is the prophet of all prophets who came to reveal God to man. In Acts 3.22, it quotes that verse as a fulfillment of Christ in His prophetic ministry. Remember, Christ wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet of all prophets. He was the great and final high priest. And He was the King of all kings. Our Messiah. And the Scripture says He fulfilled what Moses said. Now we go forward, and I'm going to make a little leap here all the way to the kingdom. And we're going to go to David, who was of the tribe of Judah, like God promised, right? 2 Samuel 7, 12-14. David is told that one of your children from your own body will sit on your throne and rule forever. His kingdom will never end. God says, David quoted in Psalm 16, 8-11, that Christ, the Messiah in the future, would rise from the grave and His body would not see decay. In Psalm 22, David starts that by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? And then he talks in that psalm about my hands and my feet are pierced. People mock me and revile me. And as we know, in the New Testament, it quotes over and over again Psalm 22 as the fulfillment of Christ. Christ Himself on the cross announces that He's fulfilling this psalm by saying, My God, My God! Why have you forsaken me? He's not just expressing his grief and agony there, I don't believe. He's announcing that he is fulfilling this messianic prophecy. And this is all about him. Out of love for the people. Psalm 45 is an amazing psalm that talks about the coming king and how he's going to conquer. It uses language that is very parable excuse me, very consistent and parallel with Song of Solomon about Christ. And the New Testament says that's a fulfillment. It's a messianic psalm. Psalm 110, where David said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Again, the New Testament, Hebrews says, Christ fulfilled these. Christ is that Messiah, that prophet, priest, and king. Glory be to God. We go to Ecclesiastes. Uh, I won't go to 7.22 through 8.1. It's an amazing picture of one man in 10,000 that could fulfill all that's needed. He says not one woman. He's not... He, he, he's not... Uh, He's not a chauvinist, Solomon isn't. He believes that the Messiah was promised to be a he would crush the serpent's head. Then he goes back to Adam. God made man upright, but man has gone in search of many wicked schemes. 
You can study that on your own, saints. But then in Song of Solomon, this is fascinating. Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Because the New Testament says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 34, that a husband will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. All Christian marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. So when Solomon, who's a son of David, who's a prophet, who wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, when Solomon talks about this Christ, he talks about Him very intimately. He says this in 5.16 of Song of Solomon, Your mouth is is sweetness itself. You are altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend. He says, Every word from Christ for our souls is precious. We are His bride, His church. You could dig that out on your own in the New Testament. Let's go forward to Isaiah. We're winding down. Isaiah, I'm going to 53. Right? Because that's, that's the heart of it. And I'll go to verse 5. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. Isaiah promised the Christ all over. There's several references there. And then we see in the New Testament, John said... John 12, 37-41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory. By the way, uh, Peter said, David said these things because he was a prophet. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it, Jesus said, and was glad. These Old Testament prophets understood what they were writing, the New Testament says. By the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, right, saints? They were prophesying Christ from cover to cover. We go forward. Jeremiah, just touch on one. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called Jehovah. Our righteousness. Wow! This branch, this Savior who's going to bring salvation is going to be Jehovah, God, our righteousness. And of course, the fulfillment, He will be called Emmanuel, which is God with us in the Gospels. Uh, Ezekiel, there's clear references to the promise. We'll go forward. Daniel, um, I just want to touch on a couple of these in the Minor Prophets as we close, as we wind down, because we tend to just skim right through the Minor Prophets. But there's a reference or a promise of the Messiah, I, I believe, and I believe I can confidently declare this from my own studies, there's a reference or a promise to the Messiah in every minor prophet, no matter how small or big they are. And I just want to touch on a couple of them. 
Zechariah 6, 12, and 13. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. And he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. Wow! This Messiah, this branch, will be a king and a priest with no conflict in his offices. And of course, in Hebrews, it talks about Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Then, uh, just one more, Malachi 3, 1-4 says, See, I will send my messenger ahead of you. The Lord, whom you are seeking, will come into His temple. He says, He will be a refiner's fire. Those who believe will stand, but those who do not will be crushed. Jesus came to the temple, and He didn't come gently. He came twice, and both times He cleansed the temple at the beginning and at the end of His ministry. And He was a refiner's fire. He wasn't putting up with this false religion. He wasn't putting up with this pharisaical, twisted, self-righteous religion any longer. His Father's house and zeal for it consumed Him. Jesus came to reveal Himself from cover to cover in the Scriptures. And then, hallelujah, praise the Lord, after 400 years of prophetic silence, the angel appeared to the virgin and said, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And as we know, Christ was born, grew up, fulfilled the whole law, died to pay for our sins completely. Remember, dear saints, Christ made the substitutionary sacrifice. He paid your debt. All of your sins were placed on His spiritual bank account. And the whole law was fulfilled and all of His obedience is placed on yours through faith. God can declare you justified, saved forever through faith in Jesus Christ, which He promised from the beginning, has fulfilled, and who continues to reign and save souls through His Gospel. So as you go forward... Dear saints, I just want to encourage you in love. Continue to look for the Christ in the Old Testament as clearly revealed in the promises and the types and the pictures and prophecies. And as you share your lives out there in this world, don't, don't be afraid, dear friends, to sow some seeds. Even to praise Jesus publicly. That's a seed. Pray with me toward that end. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our life. 
Lord, You've revealed Yourself to us. You are the Word. The Father always reveals truth through You, Christ, by the power of Your Spirit. So from beginning to the end, it's all about You and the Gospel. Help us get that more and more, Lord. Show us Your glory through the Old Testament and New. Show us Your glory in our lives and help us speak the Gospel in love to others. Lord, bless us as we go forward, remembering it's all about the Gospel. Father, hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.